So we're starting off in the book of Acts today, and the goal for today's message is 11 verses, but I don't know that we'll get that far. And we don't really have to rush either. But the title of the whole series is called The Church on Earth. And I think we're going to see as we get into it that that's really what it is, is that it's the church on earth. Because if we read Revelation or Thessalonians and we hear about the rapture or we see Revelation chapter 4 and we see the church where? In heaven. So Acts is really about the church on earth. And the title of today's message is called Many Infallible Proofs. Many infallible proofs. Again, I'm not that creative. We'll see it's in scripture and I just lifted it and uh, I'm not claiming it as my own. But I'm going to read a quote to you. It's from one of the commentators. I don't know who he is, but his name is David Brown. And he says, this book is to the gospels what the fruit is to the tree that bears it. Gospels, uh, in the gospels, we see the corn of wheat falling to the ground and dying. In the Acts, we see it bringing forth much fruit. I think that's awesome, um, especially because Acts is really kind of Luke part two. But we see that everything that Jesus taught and did in the Gospels is now lived out by the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts, and it bears much fruit. We'll see many people come to know the Lord. We'll see churches planted, people persecuted, but we'll see a lot of different things. I don't know why that just happened. But um, it was written by Luke. Um, like I said, it was the Gospel of Luke, Part 2. Um, it was written to the same guy. But Acts is 28 chapters. It covers uh, from the birth of the church, as we'll see you know, in, the, in this chapter and the next chapter, um, from Jesus' ascension. And the church is spread throughout the Middle East and Rome uh, with going far beyond. As you know, remember Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And he's on his way back to Africa. And apparently he was uh, part of a royal so the gospel went to Asia, went to Africa, and went to Europe uh, in just a few short years. But it's interesting that this uh, word Acts, the Greek word is praxeus, and I'm probably not saying that right, but apparently it was a commonly used Greek literary term um, to summarize the accomplishments of great men. I think that's interesting. So if you were a Greek literary major and you were writing a major work, say about a president or a ruler, you might use the term praxeus, which is their Acts. And in my personal time, I've been going through uh, Second Kings, and it says, this is the Acts of Hezekiah. This is the Acts of so-and-so. I think it's very interesting that the Old Testament uses a very similar language to talk about kings. And what does the Bible call us as saints? Kings and priests. And so we see the Acts of these great men, um, these kings of the faith. But um, one person says that Acts abrupt ends quite abruptly. And they're not really sure why. There's a couple of theories. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, well, maybe it's because it's not over. Maybe because, you know, we are the continuation of that. Um, we are the next episode. We're Acts Part 3, perhaps. But uh, it mainly covers the ministries of Peter, uh, the first 12 chapters, and Paul, the remaining chapters. It was written around AD 62 to 63, and one commentator says, if Luke composed Acts while Paul was still in house arrest, then Rome would be in a great possibility, would be great possibility because Luke was with Paul in Rome, saying that, you know, as we'll see, there's a lot of controversy uh, in Acts nowadays, but back then there wasn't any. And so they've kind of narrowed it down to probably 8062-63. And it's probably written while Paul's in Rome towards the end of his life and ministry. Uh, but there is a lot of controversy apparently in Acts today, at least among you know, quote-unquote liberal theologians. Uh, but I say to that, you know, the whole Bible is controversy. You know, you bring the Bible anywhere and it's controversial. Um, you know, the world can't stand it. You know, when we live our lives in genuine faith, there's controversy there. People go, you're 
doing that. You went to whose house on a Sunday and you called it church? That's not church. But the church should be controversial, I think. I think in a good way. Our lives should be controversial. There should be controversy because if the world is going one way and we're supposed to be going another way, well, that should naturally be controversial. Um, We'll see that Acts has its fair share of controversy within its pages and when its pages are lived out. And the controversy I'm talking about specifically um, is that modern, you know, like I said, quote unquote, liberal theologians say that the genuineness of the the book is in question, even though the early church had no problem with it. And I think that that says a lot. When the early church who was there, who was birthed by it, had no problem with it, and it's just guys 2,000 years later coming up with some heady argument, well, you know, I'm going to go with the guys who are there. You know, they date the authenticity, the editing, dates and stuff. But my question as I was going through these things and reading some of their arguments and, you know, even just some rebuttals, like a whole website just about talking about the Bible, but the guy obviously didn't believe it. I'm like, why would you study the Bible at all if you don't believe it? If you read it for a while and you go, this is nothing, I'm going to go away. Why would you get into deep study? You know, why would you pick it apart? And I think you can't pick it apart, you know. Like I said, before I got saved, I used to pick everything apart, and I still do. I was looking for truth. But the more I dig at the Bible, the more I try and pick it apart, the more solid it is, the more bedrock I find underneath it. Because you really can't pick it apart. The supposed controversies, the supposed contradictions just aren't there. You know, the more you dig, the more you find solid doctrine. And I think, you know, maybe they don't believe or they don't like what the Bible contains. Or what Acts contains. So when they come at it from their heady theological perspective, they say, well, I don't believe that Jesus raised from the dead, or I don't believe that this could have really happened, so let me try and pick it apart from my worldly perspective. Let me try and give it a rebuttal, um, you know, because I think it maybe upsets their own faith. They have their own ideas, they have their own preconceived notions, their own faith that they've built their lives upon, and when the Bible comes in, controversially, and begins to upset, upset that, well, then they have to try and explain it away. And I think that that's what we're doing as a culture today, is saying, well, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. It's not relevant anymore. Or the Bible, you know, these verses are great, but these verses are no good because we've advanced and we've become so enlightened in our age, haven't we? But I wonder, you know, could it be that, that we don't take the Bible seriously and build our faith on it as believers? You know, sometimes you sit there in judgment as you're reading these crazy arguments against the Bible, and I wonder... Do I do that in my own life? Maybe not so brazen and maybe not so out there and rebellious, but maybe somewhere deep in my heart am I going, maybe I don't want to build my life on the things that the Bible teaches. Maybe it is controversy to me, and maybe maybe I don't realize it, but maybe in my own life I'm skipping over verses or not applying things. You know, maybe it's to excuse my own behavior, but I think that that's something as believers we need to be wary of, that even though we believe the Bible, we know it's true, but deep down, are we really applying it? You know, like I believe the Lord wants us to know him better. And he wants this area to know him, you know, believers and unbelievers. I think sometimes we kind of get our blinders on spiritually. We go, yeah, I know who God is. Yeah, I know what the Bible says. Yeah, I believe it. But then somewhere in our life, there's this disconnect. And I think that's all part of sanctification, that as we walk with God, there's always going to be something <laughs> that doesn't line up. There's always going to be something. And I think that that's part of walking on our faith. But, you know, we need to build the church and our lives on the gospel because the gospel is authentic. You know, the only thing that's authentic in this world that I've found, at least, is the Bible. If someone can show me something that's more authentic to the Bible, that somehow the Bible's not true, that the resurrection didn't happen, 
I'll abandon it and I'll go for the real truth. But I haven't found that. In fact, like I said before, the more I dig to the Bible, the more I seek God, which really hasn't been that much, theoretically. God's proven himself true. You know, God's proven himself true in my life. And I see how everything really, everything else is really just kind of vain. But along those lines that, you know, we can see real authentic faith in action. It's obvious. We all kind of know when someone's lying to us, you know, to some extent. You know, we were going to look at buy furniture the other day. And the guy was really nice, but he's like trying to sell me on all these different things. And it's his job. I'm not mad at him. He was a nice guy. We talked for a while. But it's like, you know, I don't, you know, I know I don't need that. I'm buying brown because I have kids. I don't need to get this extra stuff on top of it. It's like, that's the reason. We're not getting the most expensive thing because we have kids. And we're not... We don't have the most expensive bank account, but you can tell when someone's trying to sell you something, when there's no truth behind it. You know, I think sometimes modern marketing, you know, I do marketing for a living, is very good at twisting it and selling it so they think, oh, great, you know, you're, you know, you're doing me a favor, but it's not that way with the gospel. When we see someone's life who's really radically altered by Jesus, there's no counterfeiting that. You know, someone may say they're a Christian, wear their, wear their Christian t-shirt, but then you begin to hang around them for a while, and oop, that comes out of their mouth. Or, oop, they're doing what this weekend? Or, oop, you know, not necessarily that maybe they aren't believers. Maybe they just haven't reached that level of maturity. But I think, you know, sometimes we're going to know a tree by its fruit. And we really can't fake a, a life lived by faith. You know, over time, you're going to see, was the life lived by faith or not? And it's something that the Bible and God instructs us all to do to take into account is, are we living by faith? Because... When we go to stand before God one day, it's going to be great, but then he's going to lay out all the stuff that we've done in our lives, not to judge us, to condemn us, but to say, hey, what was done on faith and what wasn't? And the things that were done by faith in him are the things that are going to last. They're the gold. Everything else is chaff and wheat, and it's going to blow away. And when I get there, you know, I'll be lucky to find a tiny little nugget, you know, and all this stuff blown away. You know, that's something I've been realizing lately. Really, how much of our lives do we live by faith? But, you know, the bedrock, I'm sorry, the reality of the resurrection is displayed in Acts. And that's, again, something you can't fake. You can't fake coming back from the dead. You know, they'll argue that Jesus swooned. Give me a break. He was whipped all those times with a cat of nine tails, and most people actually died. Then he carried his cross, and they nailed him up there, and they speared him in the side. I don't think you're coming back three days, no problem, walking around, eating some fish after that. I really don't think so. But we see the reality of the resurrection displayed um, we're going to see it in the beginning of the first chapter, and I think it's the foundation of this book. And I think that that's awesome, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his the call and the mission that he gives the believers and his ascension and the truth that he's in heaven and coming back is really the foundation, is the launching point, is the spark for the church to begin and, and go out. You know, the bedrock and the foundation was laid in the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the groundwork is laid we see the miracles of Jesus showing who he is, that he fulfills the prophecies. We see that he goes to the cross to die for our sins. And we see that he, ri- that he rises again. Victory over death, like we sang, right? You know, the foundation for the building of our new lives and the church is the resurrection. Paul says that, man, if the resurrection is not true, then we're the most pitiable of all people. So we believe in something that's not true. So if the resurrection is not a reality, well, then what are we doing here? You know, I would be sleeping, watching YouTube videos. Who knows what I would be doing? Hungover? I don't know. But if the resurrection wasn't true, what's the point? But because it's true, that means we're forgiven. It means that we're going to heaven one day. It means that Jesus is alive, first and foremost, really. 
but it also means that we can live a new life, a life that's completely different than our old life. It's not just our old life kind of dressed up, it's our new life resurrected. The life that we live now is the same one that we're going to live in eternity. So if we have eternity ahead of us, then that's where our focus should be. And that's the way our lives should reflect that, in faith, saying, I'm going to heaven one day. Winning at the stock market isn't really the biggest deal to me. Maybe if I have the funds and I'm skilled at it, maybe I'll do it, but it's really not the goal of my life. The goal of my life is I'm going to heaven, that's taken care of, so let me live in light of that. But from there, the church builds and grows on top of the gospel. You know that the gospel, that Jesus is the Savior and he died on the cross and rose for us again, that we might be forgiven, is the foundation for everything. It's the rock that Jesus said he's going to build his church on. So if we have good soil and we have good bedrock, well, now we're going to start to build a foundation based on the resurrection. But let's go on. Let's read the first three verses together. But God, again, we ask that you would just bring this reality of your word to us and help us, God, to see through the clutter. And God, would you just teach us, God? We need you to instruct us all today, Lord. We look forward to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, having given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And he says the former account, and that's, really just the gospel of Luke. And it's interesting, this word account is actually the Greek word logos, which we're maybe familiar with, where it's the the written word. And there's a lot of definitions here, but I'm just going to read a couple because I think it really kind of highlights some important things. You know, it's of speech. It's a word uttered by a living voice, embodies a conception or idea. Um, It's what someone has said. It's a word. It's the sayings of God. It's a decree, a mandate, or order. Um, it's a weighty saying, a discourse, it's a doctrine, a teaching, a narration, a narrative. It's a matter under discussion, a thing spoken of, an affair, a matter in dispute, a case, a suit at law. The thing spoken of or talked about, event or deed, the reason, the mental faculty of thinking or meditating, reasoning or calculating, an account, i.e. regard to consideration, an account like a reckoning or a score, an account, an answer, or explanation in reference to the judgment. That's interesting. It's also a reason, a cause, and a ground. And seeing as how Acts is really the gospels lived out, and seeing how he wants to give a case here with, uh, with many infallible proofs, it's interesting that this word logos about the gospel is saying, hey, we're going to give you lots of reasons. Hey, we're going to argue out a case before you. We're going to give you facts and figures that the reality of Jesus is real, and what does it look like when that's lived out? You know, this account, Luke and Acts, is all of that. And in fact, it was written by an intellectual, a doctor. You know, uh, Colossians 4.14, Paul calls uh, Luke the beloved physician. That this guy was, you know, this guy wasn't a fisherman. This guy was a doctor. This guy was educated. This guy probably chose his Greek words very carefully because he knew what they meant, whereas... Uh, you know, you or I might maybe pick something else if we're not, you know, as educated. And this is from the, a quote from the Institution for Creation Research, and this is a doctor writing about Dr. Luke. 
And he says, Paul had suffered much actual physical persecution during his ministry, 2 Corinthians 11, and undoubtedly needed Luke's medical help on many occasions. We can assume that Dr. Luke could have built up a comfortable practice in such a city as Antioch, where he probably met Paul. But he chose instead to serve the Lord in this sacrificial and much-needed capacity of helping Paul. As a scientist, it is interesting to me that the only one of Paul's followers who stayed with him to the end was also a scientist. I think that's interesting because a lot of people think that we have to check our heads at the door when we come to faith, or that being a Christian, well, you're, you know, you're a fool or you're an idiot or whatever the term that they want to use for you for not being as enlightened as they are because they have all these degrees. Well, we see that the guy who had the most faith, perhaps, the one who was willing to go through the most trials and, in fact, give up his earthly possessions, even though he could have had a lot, was the guy who had the most education, was the guy who knew how the body worked and was willing to give that up. You know, my mom had cancer a few years ago, and, and thank God that she made it through and that it actually deepened her faith. But she would share with the doctors about, you know, isn't it amazing how God created the body? And they go, you believe that? <laughs> But yeah, but this guy Theophilus, it can mean friend, uh, friend or lover of God. So we're not really clear on who he is, but it could have been the master or patron at one point of Luke. Back in those days, doctors, not necessarily, maybe they could have their own practice, but a lot of times they were, in a sense, sort of an educated slave who would live with the master and be the, the doctor to the guy who was very rich or a landowner or something. So maybe this is that guy who let him go to be part of the ministry who got saved and they're like, Paul, yeah, you know, you know, Luke, go for it. Uh, so maybe that was the case. Um, or maybe it was cryptic writing in a sense that it's written to all believers everywhere, friends or lovers of God. And, well, I think that would all be us to come out here, you know, to some random apartment in Rockville to hear the word of God and worship and be together. I would say that we're lovers of God. You know, I think it's interesting, given the time that perhaps it was written 82, 63, maybe it was written from Rome, it's interesting because if we read, like, I think there's a letter from Peter where he talks about Babylon, you know, the churches in Babylon greet you, or the saints and all that stuff. That was Rome. They had to use very cryptic language because of persecution and the nature of things that were going on there. But it's interesting that he says, again, this uh, term, most excellent Theophilus, is strongly affirmative, honorary form of address, and every occurrence of it in the New Testament refers to governing officials. So again, with this whole idea of Rome and perhaps where it was written and where uh, Luke was coming from, it's very interesting that maybe this guy was an official in the Roman government. Maybe he was. Or maybe, again, if we're kings and priests, God would give us that honorary term, persecution. But I'm going to read to you an email I got from my friends who are missionaries in China. And this was around Easter. It says, ever feel like you uh, live a life a little too close to the edge? Our experience this Easter felt a little too much like that for my personal comfort. I mean, I like to live adventurously, but I felt like I was holding my breath for a whole week. We had been planning for a bunch of new Asian believers to get baptized at our Easter celebration service. You notice how they have to say Asian, they can't say China. That in itself is exciting, but the week of Easter we heard reports that one of the girls who decided to follow Jesus just a few months ago at a Christmas party Again, just a little background, these, uh, my friends, they minister to college-age students. They're there under, uh, you know, translation and English teaching stuff, which they do, but their goal is to reach college kids. But uh, this girl who decided to follow Jesus just a few months ago at a Christmas party had some kind of interaction with one of her teachers where she was forbidden to connect with our house church. That teacher also told another person, my friend, who had been following Jesus for over a year, that she cannot share the gospel anymore 
or she will be kicked out of school. Then there was a threat that the police might show up at our Easter service. I'm reading this because I think it's interesting. You know, we're reading Acts and we're going to hear about persecution and we're also kind of meeting in a house quite easily. But instantly, if caught in that situation, our whole team could be deported. We considered what to do. Should we cancel the meeting or change it to next weekend? In the end, we switched the location of our meeting to another apartment. We stopped texting about the activities and gave out the new information only in person. No matter the outcome, we decided to trust God. The morning of, the inflatable kiddie pool still went up, our house church still gathered, and four new believers were baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is advancing, and towards the end of the letter they say, please pray for them to be strong and courageous in the Lord. I mean, I hear these stories, we went out to lunch with them a couple summers ago when they were in the States, and I was like, man, you guys are living it. They're like, man, you guys are living it. It was like back and forth, you know, they could see a whole difference. But, you know, Luke is an account of all things that Jesus did and taught. You know, that Jesus did a lot of things in Luke. You know, the end of John even says that you couldn't even contain in, in all the books in the world all the things that he did. But we wrote these things down that you might believe. But Acts is the things that the disciples did and taught from all that Jesus taught them and empowered them by the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a day of ascension. We'll see a day of empowerment by God as well. And when the Holy Spirit came down upon everyone, not just a few, like we see scattered throughout the Old Testament, that on the day of Pentecost, which we'll read about soon, um, everyone received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was free to all. In the Old Testament, it was few and far between. You know, a couple prophets, David, Saul had him for a while, Samson had him for a while, but he left. But you and I, we have the freedom to have living God in us and empower us for not just daily life, but Christian life. I think it's cool that, uh, you know, the apostles whom Jesus had chosen, the Bible says, and it was God's choice for their roles. You know, we don't pick our roles in Christianity. You know, I was even before in worship going, God, I don't know if I want to be here. This is crazy. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't pick our roles. You know, a new job and a position offered. I just started a job last week. It's a fa- fantastic job. Got along real great with the people there so far. But when I went in for the job, I didn't say, hey, I want to be CEO. You know, I want X amount of dollars and two yachts and, and all that stuff. They said, no, this is the job we have. Your criteria meet that, and we'd love to have you. And, you know, here's what we want to offer you. And I said, that's fantastic. But, you know, I didn't just go in there with marching orders. I just find a place off the street and say, hey, I want to be boss. And that's the same thing with Christianity. You know, sometimes I think we walk into places and we go, well, I'm the man. I should be doing everything. I know how to do this better than you. And maybe you do. But maybe that's not God's role for that time in that season. You know, because I, you know, I'm every day I'm kind of like, God, what, what do you have us doing down here? Like, yeah, this is great in a way. But the more I think about it, the more I go, man, man, what a, what a thing. But it says that Jesus presented himself alive. You know, after the resurrection, the road to Emmaus, he showed up in the inner room. There's doubt. The people are doubting. They weren't really sure. He's like, guys, I'm not a ghost. I'm a body. I'm a person. I'm Jesus. I'm alive. And he goes, you got any fish? You got any bread? And he goes over and he, you know, he grabs a donut off over there. You know, he spoke to Mary in the garden and to large crowds. You know, he was really back. It wasn't a hologram like Michael Jackson at that concert a few years ago, I guess, where they had this hologram of Michael Jackson on stage. And it wasn't him. It wasn't like that. I think it's interesting that the Bible says it's undoubtedly, it's plainly, to those who witnessed Jesus after the resurrection, it's plain as day. It's like, if we were all here, Jesus had just died on the cross, and all of a sudden he shows up. You know, he goes over, grabs a donut. You know, we'd all, yeah, he was actually here. 
we touched him. You know, there's no doubt in, in our, there would be no doubt in our minds, I think. Sorry, I lost my place here. Yeah, John 20, 29 through 31. Jesus said to them, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. They may believe they have life in his name, that Jesus wanted them to have these proofs, infallible proofs. And again, something like a doctor or scientist would want to convey. You know, I have a friend who's a scientist. He's uh, like a chemical engineer. And he's always, he loves science. He loves how science proves God. And he just gets very frustrated that the world is like, it's not science anymore. It's all religion. You know, they don't say, like, I would love to watch a show that just talks about Pluto or Jupiter, but it's always about, oh, aliens seeded life on Earth and Jupiter evolved. It's like, just tell me what it's made up of. But I think it's cool that he gave us these factual truths to base our conclusions from. You know, I base my faith on fact the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, like I said before, if that's not true, I don't want to believe it. I don't want to believe a lie. I don't have time to believe a lie. It's, it's not worth it to me. But it's interesting that Jesus was seen during 40 days. And it's number 40. Not to get too much into it, but Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years, and then 40 years again. Um, there were uh, 40 days up in the mount, uh, you know, fasting. Jesus fasted for 40 days before his uh, ministry. Goliath even tempted or tested Israel for 40 days. Um, but apparently it's a number of testing. I think that's interesting that Jesus showed up to them for 40 days saying, hey, I've given you 40 days to test this. 40 days to judge for yourselves whether or not I'm alive. He didn't just show up one day and say, hey, guys, I'm alive. I'm out of here. He was around for a while. You know, he, Jesus wanted to give infallible proof of his resurrection and conquering of death and sin that he wants us to know for sure. It's not something that he wants us to doubt. You know, even the Bible says, come reason with me, argue it out with me, though your sins be as scarlet, I want them to be forgiven and white as snow. But the end of the Gospel of Luke overlaps with the first part of Acts, and um, so if you go back and you read Luke, you know, there's very similar things at the end, this is sort of like the truncated version here. But he said he spoke the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and I think that's very important when we begin to study the church, when we begin to look at the Bible, is that we begin to understand what the kingdom of God actually is. You know, Jesus' trial before Pilate, John 18, 35, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. You know, Jesus said, Hey, my kingdom is from another world. My kingdom is greater than this world. If my kingdom was just about this world, I would give my guys swords. They'd come down here, they'd fight. I'd even call down a legion of angels and wipe all you guys out and take over. And Jesus said, That's not really what it's about. And because of that, you know, I think that the church is really an outpost in enemy territory. You know, there's some great movies on Netflix about, I think it's called Restrepo, and there's some language in it, but it's about these guys who are in Afghanistan at the furthest forward operating base in the middle of uh, enemy territory. So they're like, all their stuff was helicoptered in, they were taking gunfire, they had to set up around them and build up camp, and they were there, and they were there for a while, and they would go out on missions into the town and watch out for bombs and things. But it wasn't a comfortable life. There was like wood and concrete, and they went outside the walls. They had to put their vests on and everything. They were a forward operating base. They weren't back somewhere way down in, in, uh, in American territory where they were safe, where they could walk around and play volleyball, you know, top gun style. And I think that that's like the church. 
is that the earth is enemy territory. I mean, the earth is, is so full of sin and so swayed by it, especially in our day and age, that to have the church, it's, you know, this isn't our kingdom. You know, people could come knock on this door and say, hey, you're not allowed to do that here, and we probably have to comply and go somewhere else. We're in enemy territory. You know, but again, it's not our kingdom or God's kingdom to be built up in the sense of getting land. Yeah, we got that P.O. box, but my goal is not to take over every P.O. box. My goal is not to make Bethesda a political region of Jesus. I'm not going to go on jihad down in Maryland to go take physical land and make people obey God no matter what the cost, make them obey. But instead, it's really, you know, it's to be lived out, it's to be focused on the heavenly kingdom. Because we know that there's a new kingdom coming, there's a new Jerusalem. And our goal in this life is the Great Commission. You know, Matthew 18, 28, 18 through 20 says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That we see that the kingdom of God, while it's heaven, and we're going to see a little bit more about it later, and that it's going to come to earth one day, there's going to be a new heavens and a new Jerusalem. So we're not so necessarily worried about the things here that we'll see in a minute. But really, our role as the church, our job is not to make a country club. Yeah, we might have a nice building one day down the line. I don't know what God has in store. Maybe we'll be as big as some other places, but maybe we won't be. Maybe we'll always be gathering from house to house. I don't know. Maybe we'll be in a school for 10 years. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. All we know is that we have today. And today, are we making disciples? Are we going to all nations and making disciples? I think God's made it kind of easy for us. He's brought all nations to our nation. You know, we get very focused on going to other countries for mission work, and I think that that can be good. But really, in America, we can just go down the street. We can go next door, and there's probably someone from some other country or some other nationality. Let's go on. Let's read verse 4 through 8. Again, our focus needs to be on God's kingdom and not building up our own kingdom here on earth. There's a funny video that I won't play, but, uh, man, people's focus just gets way off sometimes, I think. Verse 4, And being assembled together with them, uh, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when, you, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And I like this. He says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. You know, these first few verses that we talked about really are a recap of the end of Luke. And I think of like those TV shows that say, previously on such and such. And then the first two minutes of the show is like cuts from the last few weeks so that if you haven't seen the episodes, you can catch up. And think that that's what these first, you know, few verses of Acts really are. Let's catch up. Let's remember what Jesus said before he ascended. You know, and a lot of times when I watch those shows on TV, I want to skip over those things. <laughs> Yeah, I saw it. Oh, yeah, I saw it. Let's fast forward, you know. Yeah, they cut that differently. But let's not fast forward here. Let's pay attention to these next few verses because I think it's really setting, like we talked about before, the groundwork for everything that we're going to study in Acts and everything that I think, you know, maybe the Lord wants to show us about what the church should look like, what it should be like. You know, there's things that 
you know, I need to learn. There's things that we all need to learn together, um, you know, because God wants us to be healthy. But he says that he's assembled with them there, and I think that that's awesome because I love that the Lord is with them. I love that. God doesn't say, go over there, do that. <laughs> he says, come together with me. Let's assemble together. You know, God loves to be around his people. You know, even like we just read, you know, he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That Jesus says, I don't expect you to do this by yourself. I don't expect you to meet together and try and conjure up what you think of me. I don't expect you to come together with these thoughts. I expect you to come together and just meet with me. Just spend time with me. And I think that that's missing. And a lot of times it's very obvious that that's missing in the church these days. I'm not saying this church, not saying any other church that, you know, like D.C. Metro, and God's definitely there. But I've had experiences where it's like you go, and it's like, is Jesus here? You know, I don't feel any love, you know. Not that feelings are that important, but, you know, is God here? Is God really here? You know, Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and of good courage, and do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you, and he will not leave you nor forsake you. I think it's so cool that Jesus was with them, and he gave them similar promises because he was leaving. He was leaving. He was about to ascend. You know, he told Mary not to cling to him. But he wouldn't leave them as orphans. He wouldn't leave them as orphans. I think that that's cool that when God begins to move and do something, maybe he begins to change up our lives. It begins to take things out of our lives a lot of times. He's saying, don't worry. I'm going to put something better in its place. I'm going to get you through this. You know, John 14, 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Jesus says, hey, I'm going away for a while, but I am coming back. You don't have to worry. that. You know, I think that's a lot of times when we don't see God working in our lives or maybe we've had a close time of fellowship with him and then all of a sudden it's like he's not there. He's going to come to us. You know, he wants to come to us. He's not going to leave us orphans. You know, he says if we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. But really, it's kind of, he's drawn near to us. That he's coming and his promises are true. But we need him, like that first song that we sang, we need Jesus. You know, we can't do this life without him. You know, every time I think I've got it together, I can go do this life without him. I don't need to pray about something. I don't need to seek God on something or seek counsel on something. I end up getting myself into a little bit of trouble or something that I really wish I wasn't in because I'm not meant to do it without him. None of us are. You know, when God created Adam and Eve, he put him in the garden, but he was with them in the garden. You know, he's not the absentee landlord. I think it's cool that the church is always with Jesus. You know, if it's missing Jesus, it's not really church. If Jesus isn't here with us and we're just waxing philosophical about what the scripture says and we're just talking Christianese or eat, drinking our Christian coffee and donuts, but we haven't met with Jesus, we haven't really sought him, well, don't bother. None of us should bother. You know, church was being assembled together with Jesus. You know, meet with Jesus. Are we assembled with him? Is he welcome here? I hope that he is. I hope that as we study the Bible together, God feels welcome and for God feels praised and Jesus is lifted up and that when we walk away from here, all of us, that we can go, yeah, you know, maybe I don't remember everything. Maybe I don't want to remember everything. But I got a little taste of Jesus. Maybe it was just in a hug. Maybe it was just in a high five. Maybe it was just in something. Hopefully in worship. Hopefully in the teaching. I think that's why I want to take communion is, really, God's welcome here. And this is about Jesus. If this thing ever becomes about anything other than Jesus, run away. 
Run away quickly. You know, leave your beach chair. You can get another one. <laughs> I'm not saying that because we don't have couches yet. <laughs> you know, but is he welcome in our lives every day? When we get up, is he welcome? Is it just a church? How about on the highway? My driving's been a little different down here. <laughs> like, man, people do not drive as fast as they do in New York. Maybe the cubicle at work, is he welcome there? <laughs> it's okay. Is it the bank account? Is he welcome there? Is it your bedroom or your boardroom? Is he welcome there? Maybe he's not welcome for anyone else there, but when you're there, are you glad that Jesus is with you? And for me, honestly, that's kind of a struggle in a new environment where people don't know me. Maybe they don't know the details about my life yet. It's kind of, well, you know, it's kind of a struggle sometimes, to be honest with you. But, I'm, you know, I'm glad he's there. There's no way that I would have that job or have those skills if it weren't for him. But we need to make him welcome. We need to make him welcome. You know, especially, you know, if it's just us or if it's other people show up one day that they need to feel welcome. You know, Jesus said, if you give a, a cup of cold water to one, even in a disciple's name, you know, we did it unto him. But Luke, in the end of Luke 24, and for time we won't read it, um, 36 through 43, it says, eating when he showed up to prove that he was real. You know, he shows up in the upper room, he talks to them, he eats them like we talked about. Is that he felt welcome enough to go up and say, hey, you guys have anything to eat? And I hope that you guys feel welcome enough to go up and get something to eat. You know, maybe not in the fridge, <laughs> but that you feel welcome. And would Jesus feel welcome if he was physically here? And, and I say he is physically here. If we're his body, Jesus is here. He's here. You know, to feel welcome at church, more importantly, you know, I long for people to feel welcome at church. You know, it's something that when I walked in the door of the church, I started going to Calvary Chapel after I got saved. You know, I think I shared last week that I felt welcome. I felt loved. They didn't know who I was. You know, I probably smelled. You know, there's probably sin still all over me. But I felt welcome. I felt loved because I was. Because Jesus was there. And I, no matter what happens, I always want people to feel welcome when we gather together. Whatever you call it, whatever it looks like, I hope that people feel welcome. I hope that you guys feel welcome today. Um, I know it's like our first time together and we're still getting to know each other, but I hope that you guys feel welcome because you are. You know, you may not be welcome here at 2 a.m. on a Tuesday, <laughs> unless it's a dire emergency. You know, I've had friends show up in my house in the middle of the night in dire straits. And I was a little upset at first, but then when I realized and God got a hold of me, they felt they were welcome because they were going through something. But if they showed up, like I have other friends, <laughs> they just showed up like, bro, go home. <laughs> but I always want people to feel welcome at our church gatherings, you know. But as we go on, the Bible says that we, they were there to wait for the promise of the Father, that Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Father. And how important it is to wait. How important it is to wait. You know, we get into so much trouble when we don't wait. You know, it says, where does the promise come from? Well, the Father. The Father. We were reading to Mia last night the story of Abraham and the promise that God gave him for a son, that he longed for a son, and that promise of that son became the nation of Israel. And Israel brought Jesus about, and that was the answer to God's promise to Adam and Eve. But it came from the Father. It's interesting that Jesus says that because he says, which you've heard from me, the promise of the Father, which you've heard from me. That the things that Jesus spoke and the thing that Jesus did were directly from the authority of God, the Father. John 14, 1 through 20. It says, I and the Father are one. 
Again, check that out later. I won't go through it for a time. He says, I and the Father are one. You know, if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father, and you can get into this whole, like, misty, heady, mystical, like, heady think, uh, thinking about it, like, I've seen Jesus, I've seen the Father, but if I've seen the Father, I've seen Jesus, and the Father dwells in unapproachable light and all this stuff. It's cool, but really, if we've seen Jesus, we know what God looks like. Yeah, maybe he's not the blonde guy in the painting on the wall with the blue sash or whatever. But we know what Jesus looks like, and we know what he looks like by reading the scriptures. Verse 5 says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You know, John was Jesus' cousin, baptizing in the wilderness. People gave, were given an opportunity to repent from their sin in anticipation of the sacrifice of the Messiah that John repented, brought them out there to repent. And then the Pharisees showed up, and he's like, Who told you brood of vipers to show up here? Who told you guys to show up to what God was doing? To the religious folks. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus gets baptized. And John goes, no, no, no. you got to baptize me. And Jesus says, no. Let's do this. We need to do this to be obedient. And then the Holy Spirit comes down. We see the Father says, this is my son. And I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit appears like a dove and lands on Jesus. And his ministry is, uh, begins. It says that they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at that in more detail in the coming weeks. But if we're talking about baptism, Jesus brings up the idea about John baptizing in the wilderness and dunking people in the water and bringing them out. And he uses that as a reference to say, just as John baptized you in the, in the river, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, that our lives should be completely immersed in the Holy Spirit. Our lives should be completely wet with God. You know, we should be soaking wet. You know, it's summer. It's starting to get hot out. It's a little bit warmer here than it is in New York. But you think, you know, when you go to the pool in the summer and you get wet, maybe you went over a friend's house, and we did this a lot uh, when I was younger, and, you know, you get in the car afterwards, you have to put a towel on the seat because you're still wet, maybe you didn't change, you got the T-shirt on, it's wet, it's soaking through. Um, you know, if you go into an amusement park, maybe you went on the log flume and you walk around the rest of the day and you're, you wore your shoes and your shoes are all, they're wet, leaving little footprints, and no matter what you do, you're wet for the rest of the day. You know, and there's nothing worse than a wet sock in the morning. <laughs> you know, you take a shower, you get dressed, put your socks on, you forget you have to go back in the bathroom for something. You step right where you're dripping, you're like, oh, i got to change my socks. I don't know if that happens to you, it happens to me. It's the worst. I hate it. I have this phobia, like, going in the bathroom after I put my socks on. <laughs> but really, that's the way our lives should be. Our lives should be leaving marks of God wherever we go. Oh, that seat's wet. <laughs> oh, the bathroom floor is wet. You know, oh, whatever. Why are your clothes all wet today? There should be some evidence of God in our lives. If there's not, you know, maybe we need to seek him more. Maybe we need to ask him to say, hey, fill my life. I want to be that ever-baptized presence of you, God. And just like we can dry out when it's hot out, we can go outside, our clothes dry, we get dry. The same way when it comes to God, and it's a continual filling. You know, it's been said that we have holes and we leak. So we need to ask God to continually fill us. Because it's like, yeah, God, fill me. You're going out. Maybe you went and shared your faith and you're on a, on a good note. And then you're driving home. When you get in traffic, you go, ah! And you realize, wow, I'm getting angry or something silly. God, forgive me. Would you fill me? It's got to be this constant relationship. But it says, not many days from now. You know, sometimes God's promises are right around the corner. Jesus says, not many days from now. Guys, I'm going. But just hang out for a couple days. Just a couple days. You know, there have been times in my life where I've just waited, if, if I just waited a few minutes or a few days or a couple of weeks longer, I would have seen God's plans fulfilled. But how often I get impatient and I go, 
let me do this right now. Let me take care of this right now. You know, waiting to come down here a couple weeks ago, I'm like, Lord, do I just go down tomorrow? It was a Sunday night. Do I just go down? Do I just find a job and do things? I sense the Lord is saying to me, can't you just wait for me to do something? Can't wait for me to take care of something? And in God's timing, you know, I left work and everything end of February, and it took two months to come down here to get everything done. But you know what? God had something else for me to do in the, in the meantime. You know, get to meet people, get to be involved in things, search out the land, but also to be part of the ministry that was still needed up in New York. And I think that that's fantastic. God answered a lot of prayers in many different ways and desires in my heart in that way. You know, but even a couple of years ago when I was looking for a job, I was given one job offer and it was like an extreme low ball. I'm like, God, I, and I would, it would just been, it would have been a rough situation, but uh, I just was like, I, I need a job. I want to take it, but I just didn't really feel right about it. And so I prayed about it and God told me not to take it. I was like, well, I don't have a job. I need to eat. I got to pay bills. But two weeks later, lo and behold, I got another job and it was a better job as where I was at for the past uh, three, three and a half years or so. But again, you know, we need to wait on God. We need to wait on him. You know, we can't just rush forward and do things. Yeah, we could go out and probably come together and figure out a place to meet next week. But maybe this is it for now. Maybe we'll see what God does in the next couple of weeks. You know, Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait and say on the Lord. If your heart needs strengthening, I know mine does. We just need to wait on God. We don't need to go work out. We just need to wait on him. There's nothing, nothing that strengthens me more than when God has promised something and I actually obey and wait. Man, I see it begin to come together as God begins to do it and God begins to patch it up and, and make it work. It's like that gives me such confidence as opposed to me rushing out and trying to put it together on my own strength. I go, well, did I just do that? Are they just doing that because I asked them? Or, you know, it gets crazy that way. Verse 6 says, uh, Therefore when they come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And, you know, this was obviously something they had been talking about. If you remember in Matthew 20, uh, 19 through 38, you know, the mother of Zebedee, son's kingdom, said, Hey, Jesus, uh, you got a place on your right hand and on your left for my sons? He goes, you don't know what you're asking. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, we do. You know, when you come to power, you know, let us have the other two thrones next to you. Let us be your vice president and chief of staff. He goes, well, are you able to drink the drink that I am able to drink and be baptized with I'm being able to baptize? I go, yeah, of course, God. And he goes, well, indeed, you are going to drink the drink that I have to drink and be baptized with I will be baptized as opposed to being killed for their faith. But it's not up to God. It's not up to him. He says, that's my father. Because, again, they were thinking earthly kingdom. They're thinking, Jesus, you're coming to save us from the Romans, save us from our sin. You're going to set up your kingdom. Can we kind of be involved in that? And again, he says, it's up to the Father. It's up to the Father. And I think it's very, especially now, all of us included, myself included, that we need to be careful, just like they were, that they were vying for a spot in the kingdom. That as they were vying for a spot, they were really concerned about an earthly kingdom. They're really concerned about their own power and their own glory and their own being interjected into what God was doing. And we really need to be careful that that's not what we're going after. You know, like we talked about last week, that, you know, no one can take the ministry under themselves. It's something that God has to appoint in all our lives, that we need to be careful of that, and myself included, just because God's quote-unquote called us to start a church down here, I still need to be very careful that I'm not overstepping my bounds in anyone's life. I'm not overstepping my bounds in in the timing or what God wants to do. So pray for me. (coughs) 
You know, although they may have been concerned in a good way about earthly politics being changed, it wasn't really God's desire. It wasn't really God's primary motive. You know, they wanted to restore the kingdom of Israel. You know, the Romans had taken over the area. The Romans had their own ruler in the area, Pilate. You know, the Romans had labeled the area Palestine. There was a third temple. that Maybe they wanted to return to the glory days of Solomon with the second temple when Israel was a superpower and Israel ruled the world and there was peace. You know, it's important to vote and it's important to be involved politically. But it's not our prime directive as Christians. Again, you know, I'm not down here to get this place to begin to vote like Christians, to begin to vote as the Bible might instruct us to vote based on righteousness. I'm not down here to make this place a politically Christian nation. That's not what God wants. And we've seen that it doesn't even last. Even though our nation was built on Christian principles because people have had, didn't have the relationship with God, look at how far we've gone. You know, I was reading last night in Second Kings, and I forget which king, but basically it said that this guy was so wicked and the people became so wicked that it was even worse than the people that God had kicked out of the land for the Israelites to take over. And I was like, wow. But we need to be disciples. We need to be good stewards of the freedom we've been given. And if we're Christians, we're going to live that out and be good stewards of the freedoms and vote. But that's not the important thing. You know, 2 Peter 3.13 says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That this earth, this kingdom is going to pass away. You know, Peter talks about this universe going away with a bang, with a fervent heat, that the elements are going to be destroyed. So why would we be so focused about building a crystal cathedral or a giant church with a big gold Gabriel or whoever it is on top? That's not the kingdom of God. God's making his new kingdom. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I'm coming back. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, sorry guys, like the fish and everything. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. New kingdom is coming, guys. That's the one. Hey, sweet pea. That's the one we got to be living for. You know, God's kingdom will be done on earth through prayer. The Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. That God's kingdom here is his will being done. That we would love justice and mercy and bring forgiveness to people. But it can come spiritually now. God's kingdom can come spiritually now. In fact, I think that this right here is evidence, even just for today, of God's kingdom here on earth, that we are changed by Jesus. We are here together to study the word and to worship him. That's God's kingdom. Because what are we going to do in heaven? Well, we're going to know the whole Bible. So we're going to worship God, and we're going to spend time with him and together. Just now we have to do it in a place with air conditioning and taxes and all that good stuff. You know, but he says times and seasons. You know, uh, there's a study that I went through with Thessalonians in New York, and I'll probably try and put that online down here. But we don't know the exact time or exactly when things will look like, but we should have a pretty good idea. If we're reading our Bible and we're paying attention to what the world is doing, we can have a pretty good idea. Yeah, it looks like Jesus is going to come back now. Maybe the world powers will be a little bit different. Maybe they won't be. But we can get a good, pretty good idea. But again, 
we need to be paying attention. And it says that it's in the Father's own authority. And this word is power. And it means power of choice. It means physical or mental power. It means uh, the power of rule or government. But I think it's also interesting that it says it's a sign of the husband's authority over his wife. The veil which uh, proprietary required women to cover herself. The sign or regal authority of a crown. I think it's interesting if we know anything about Jewish engagements. They would get engaged. They would wait a year. The, husband, the future husband would go away and start adding on to his parents' house or his own house, preparing a place for his bride. And then he would come back and we get the parable about the virgins and the oil and everything. That's the same way. That she didn't know what was going to happen. She didn't know when he was going to be coming back. She didn't know what the new kingdom necessarily was going to look like exactly. But she was to be ready. That's the same thing with us, that we need to be ready for his return. And we may not know exactly what it's going to look like. We may not know exactly when it's going to be, but we need to be expectant of that. You know, God has put certain veils over the church's eyes during our engagement. There's things we don't know about heaven. There's things that we read the Bible and we go, I don't know why. Why did God allow this in my life? I don't know, but God does. But we'll know one day when the marriage celebration begins. But I think it's interesting that Jesus kind of knocks him down a little bit. Hey, we want to know what the kingdom is. Are you, know, are you going to do this? And Jesus says, no, no. But he has this word, but there. He says, but you will receive power. He's like, yeah, you don't know that, but I've got something better for you. Your focus is on this earthly kingdom, but I've got something better for you. Power from a heavenly kingdom. Something that you'll be able to see with your spiritual eyes. That we'll be able to see God's kingdom take place. Like those people were baptized in Asia. That's God's kingdom. People, you know, if you're an unbeliever and you have fleshly eyes, you're like, oh, people just got wet in some silly kiddie pool in some house. But spiritually, you go, those people got saved. Those people are going to heaven. You see God's kingdom coming to be. And that p- word power is dunamis, and we're going to close up here in a minute. It's strength, power, and ability. It's inherent power. It's power for performing miracles. It's moral power and excellence of soul. It's the power and influence which belong to riches and wealth. And hey, God, God owns everything. It's not that we're going to have a Ferrari, but man, we have power that the world just can't touch. Money can't buy this power, which we'll see in a future chapter. But it's power consisting or resting upon armies, forces, and hosts that God is with us. And if God is with us, who can be against us? If God's with us, what do we care if the cops come? I mean, in all honesty, I mean, yeah, you know, as I say, that's a little nerve-wracking, but seriously, the police come one day like they would in another country. Well, God's more powerful than them. God's arm is more powerful. You know, what, could we, what more could we ask for? They were asking for some earthly power, but God's offering his own power, heavenly power. It's the person of God. It's more than just power. The Holy Spirit's not just, you know, like Star Wars coming out again, the force. It's not just, ooh, and you could do miracles, and ooh, you know knock people over on stage and collect their checkbook. But it's power that God himself lives in us. And honestly, it's the only way to be a witness for him. As we're going to see in Acts, there's a lot of witnesses to Jesus. But the only way for us to be an actual effective witness of the living God is if the living God dwells within us. How else could it be? How else can you and I witness, be an image of an invisible God, like Jesus is the image of the Father, if God's not in us, how can we conjure that up? How can we make up that faith? How can we make up that awesome power out of our own faculties? And the answer is we can't. You know, the only thing we can do is be a witness for our flesh, death, or selfish desires. You know, you see people out there who claim to be Christian, who claim to be witnesses of God, but you go, they're just asking for money. Or they're just doing it for their own power or their own fame. And that's, you know, sad. You know, I've had people share with me, you know, 
I've had people, I've evangelized to people my whole life, and I don't know why they don't come to the Lord. I'm like, well, is it really God's power that you're witnessing? But it's interesting that it says that the call is to go everywhere, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the world. That we need to be a witness for him, and it's for everywhere, that there's no skipping. You know, you can't just get saved and say, I want to go to China. I mean, maybe you can. But really, God wants to grow us up in the places that we're at. If we're not being effective witnesses around, you know, here, in our own lives, how are we going to be effective anywhere else? Because there has to be a reality again to it, guys. It's not just going out and putting on a show. It's what is our life like? If our life is not a witness of itself, well, that's that. You know, but missions, local outreach evangelism, I'd love for us to pray about doing things in the, in the area shortly, about going out evangelizing, not promoting a church, but going out and just finding opportunities to minister. I mean, I'm not really too worried about it right now. I just want us to get together and pray and get to know each other and see what God would do. But if you begin to feel led to go somewhere and do something, do it. Do it. But, Father, I thank you for your time that, God, you've given us together today, that, God, uh, Lord, um, your word is true. And, God, uh, it's your power that we need. And, God, I pray that you would fill us all with your spirit. And, God, we would rest in that this week and trust in you. And, God, that you would make us witnesses, God, here and to the ends of the earth. And that, God, we would truly love each other and uh, build our lives on you. And that, God, you would always be the focus and you would always be lifted up in this thing and that in our lives and in this church. But uh, we thank you for that. We ask for your blessing on, on our day. In uh, Jesus' name, amen. God bless.